Make sure that it's working like we think it's working. You know, there's nothing worse than thinking it's working and then you're not even in the same room with it. And it just is such an empty feeling. So um, uh, I'd like for you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians 13. I want to remind you, as I remind myself, that it's impossible to be saved without the blood of Jesus. Would you all agree with me there? It's impossible. The Bible says in Ephesians, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He has saved us. It's impossible. It cannot be done that we would be regenerated, we would be born again, apart from the blood of Jesus and receiving that sacrifice. And then the same thing happens in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, it is impossible to please Him. It is impossible to please Him without faith. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we have to, we have to arrest ourselves tonight and say, where is it not working? Where am I not fitted and joined? Uh, it says here in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, the very thing that, we, that we're doing right now in this, uh, in this time frame, verse 5 says, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. So we've just, we're asking the Lord, shine the light on anything that thinks it's in faith, thinks that it's on track, and not. I, I know for years that um, there was a teaching that went around that just said uh, that you confess things one time or that you believe things one time, and that if you, if you got prayer for something again, it, that means that the first time was... Uh, not in faith. I tell you, we got to press towards it and perfect that which concerns us inside of us and work this stuff out. We have to work out our salvation, and that includes our faith. And so a lot of times we would, we would get prayer or we would release our faith for something, and it wouldn't be on track. I mean, we would think it would be, and we would hope it would be, but we went in through a season of standing where you would just stand for the answer. And I'm going to suggest tonight that maybe it doesn't take as long to get faith activated and released in the harvest as we thought, and that our standing was actually uh, in vain. We just weren't in faith, but we thought we were. You know, it's nothing worse than, than to think somebody's your friend and then find out. You're not my friend, matter of fact. <laughs> that saying comes to pass. It says, hold your friends close and hold your enemies closer. You, you, <laughs> It's, it's, a, it's, it's so disappointing to find out that you're not where you are, but it's so much more disappointing to, uh, to not have the truth. Sometimes I'll, uh, if something's going on, I'll go into a business and get treated bad or something. I will call the manager or the owner and just say, you know, if I was in business, I'd want to know this. And I'll tell them that, and they'll be very grateful. Well, I think we should be grateful for Holy Spirit telling us tonight, this is where you're missing it. Just make the connection and you'll be in faith, and it'll all work out. So there's no condemnation here. There's no, there's no accusation in this kind of teaching or this kind of word. It's, we just want to shine the light on. Jesus, we want to know the truth. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians right there in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll start with that verse. Um, we talked about Sunday how most Christians, the only time they examine themselves to see if they're in the faith is when they're in trouble. 
But that's not the way we should grow. That's not the, there's, there's two ways to, to, to learn. You, by tribulation or revelation. You can learn things by going through a trial and getting scorched and coming out the other end just so disappointed and then see, oh, that's what was wrong. Or you can just have a great life, be going along perfect, and the Lord shine his light on and you say, Lord, I, I need to know more. And that revelation, you, you get something without the suffering and the trouble. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter um, 4, verse 13, we know this verse. It says, we, having the same spirit of faith, so it's talking about another people here uh, in the Old Testament, according as it is written. So uh, Paul is referencing an Old Testament scripture here. According as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. I believed and therefore have I spoken. Paul said to the, cor the church at Corinth, we also believe and therefore speak. So I want to submit to you tonight uh, concerning examining ourselves in the faith, the part of faith that speaks. There's a part of faith that speaks. And we've all been through a time of teaching or a time of, uh, uh, in, in, the, in the flow of the body of Christ where we, we spoke, but we didn't always see what we spoke come to pass. And so we wondered, now, what is this all about? But we would look at scriptures. We always have looked at scriptures and said, here it says to speak. I want to show you something that uh, I believe it might help, help us tonight. But um, one thing we have to do is find out, is our faith speaking? You can ask yourself tonight, is my faith speaking? Because faith speaks. We believed, and therefore we speak. What we've been through, and I keep referencing this because it's a major part of our life and a, and a, and a major uh, strata of the faith walk was that there was a duty to confess. And we had the confession police all over the body of Christ that said, and rightfully so, because we had terrible confession. And, uh, but, but it fostered a belief that, that said, if I confess, and if I only confess right, and if I do not misconfess, things will line up. But that hasn't necessarily been our experience that we could look back and look in that. And so uh, it's not a contrived confession coming out of duty that we confess. In other words, there is a power to getting up and confessing the word and confessing who you are, confessing what you have and confessing what you can do, but it has to come from the right source. Everybody knows that our tongue is hooked up to two parts. It's hooked, to, hooked up to our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, and it has a say. Y'all know your mind and your senses have a say. There's things coming out of your mouth that you go, that didn't come from God's part. <laughs> Amen. But then there is a part that comes down from this innermost being, this, this uh, belly that's been regenerated, that absolutely is as an oracle of God. So there's two flows or two rivers here, but just one mouth, and you could mistake faith uh, because it has a, has a, uh, it's dressed up looking, smelling, and sounding like faith, but it might not be faith at all. So we're going to talk about that. In Romans chapter 10, let's look in a, in a, very easy to understand and familiar and common scripture. 
and see where this this voice or this confession or this speaking must come from. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, you know, this is, this is the, the Roman road here, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's an absolute, isn't it? That word shalt is an absolute. For with, so here's an explanation. Here is, here is a step back in the footnote to verse 9. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So let's look at that a little bit and see how people are born again and what really happens. Now, I don't know about your experience, but in the days in the past, a lot of times we, there was a lot of assenting. And you may know people that have given their heart to Jesus in some sort of religious form or whatever, and you wondered, though, with their life going on, are you born again? And even some of them will confess that I did the church thing and I told the preacher and I went through the little, the little thing, uh, giving your heart to Jesus, but there wasn't a regeneration. Nothing happened inside, at least according to a lot of people, and the evidence is clear. We have a saying around here, you're not born again until you're born again. It doesn't matter what you went through. It doesn't matter what you said. It doesn't matter what other people got born again with that you mimicked or imitated. You're not born again until you're born again. You cannot tell to the Lord at the, at the day of judgment, but I did what they said, and I did what others did. Until it happened, it did not happen. And you're just as empty and just as much as a sinner of someone that tried and did not get regenerated as someone that mocked God and walked down the road and said, I'll never serve him. It's just important that we, say, that we know that close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades and that this thing, you're either, you're either a gazillion miles away from the Lord Jesus or he's in the big middle of you all the way. And there is no middle, middle ground. So right here in verse 9 it says, If thou wilt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus. So right there we're seeing that, that there's a difference, at least the way that I was taught, that it does not say in the Scriptures anywhere if you would confess with your mouth the Savior Jesus. And that's what I did when I was young. I confessed the Savior Jesus. That's what I was led to believe and led to do. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, uh, that you couldn't get born again in that, in that strata. It doesn't mean that you, because you didn't know the difference, that you couldn't get born again. Most people do. But to say, uh, by experience, uh, I don't need him as Lord, I just want him as Savior, which is a kind of a fire insurance policy, sort of, you know, uh, I just, what do I got to do to miss hell? <laughs> so uh, here it's very clear, if thou will confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And so not a Savior Jesus. Notice there it says, confess with your mouth. That seems redundant that anybody would say, confess with your mouth, because how else would you confess? But you can confess in your mind. Have you ever seen people pray over their food without saying a word? But you know they are praying over their food. They bow their heads. No, 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 no. There's a time thing there. And then one's through, then the other one's through. And you know they've prayed over their meal, but they did not confess with their mouth. Here it seems to say in, in this faith context that you've got to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. 
The word Lord there, I looked it up, so interesting. It is a very unique and peculiar word, and it is in the Scriptures. Would you all agree with me there? It's not italicized. It says if you want to get saved, you've got to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. It's a word that, it's the word kudos, and it means a master, an absolute master. It's a real, it's real, uh, it's a real uh, uh, full word. It means one in total control. Now, you know, most people are not confessing that Lord Jesus when they, when they are opting to get saved. Are you all in agreement with me there? They're not confessing that. They're confessing, I need a better life, I need a different life, and if this confession or receiving or in my heart or whatever does it, I'm all in. It's not their fault that we did not explain it, that we didn't make the new birth have a cost or have a condition attached to it. It is a free gift, but there's a responsibility. The word also means supreme in authority. Supreme. When I looked it up, the word goes on and on, many, many different things, and all of them are absolutes. They're very, they're very uh, definitive and real, very hard right words that says, Complete control, absolute supremacy, totally in charge. Reminds you of a king, someone that has absolute power over your life and everything that you do. And historically, there are people that have done that and been that. And the Lord Jesus here wants that position in our life. It's so easy to enter in. But it's so challenging to, to, to identify with the, with the confession that is made. So in verse 9 it says, If thou will confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. So there would be something there in that confession of regeneration to be changed on the inside where you would lay down your life. You would disavow your life. You would disavow any authority. You, there would be no holdbacks. There would be no, but if this happened, I'm going to have to step in, Lord. Or if this happened, I'm going to have, you know, with my children, Lord, I just, I just can't give you my life concerning them or my money or a number of things where in our mind we would be um, unwilling to commit to his total control. And obviously, when we get born again, we're going to give him everything that we're able to at that point. You know, we, we don't know anything about this new life, and so what we're saying is, is I want all of you. We just don't know what that all means. But the Holy Spirit is very quick to do it. But in the, in the system that I was uh, uh, raised in, the example or the demonstration was very far from a total surrender to the Lord, even though we sang songs like I surrender all, all to you, my precious Savior, I surrender all. That was not the life that we left to engage. It was just the hymn that we sang. So a master, one in total control, supreme in authority. Now, I don't want to get off the subject here, but it says, if thou will confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. And the word there is, is you know, delivered. It, it means to be set apart from all the temporal things that are in this world 
And then we know from other scriptures it means to be regenerated, to be changed. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We know it's more than just that. There's an ability to make him Lord. There's an ability to surrender because we become regenerated on the inside. And what holds us back is this, this, this soup thing between our ears that wants to go back and wants to revert and wants to, you know, that part of us we know. Okay, so let's look in verse 10. Because he explains, verse 9 and verse 10, for with the heart. So we could say that word for is because the heart, or as a result of the heart, man believeth under righteousness. Now that's kind of an ambiguous term in this verse. We know what righteousness is, but how do we believe under righteousness? And with the mouth, here it is with the mouth, no, no, think, no think confession, no mind confession, but with the mouth. Now, why is that? Because the way we're structured and wired is no one is willing to commit to anything beyond what they're willing to say. If you won't say it, you won't do it. That's why marriage is such a commitment. And that's why in the ceremony, people get up there and they repeat after me, I, Joe Blow, I give myself, I surrender, I bequeath, I bestow, I honor, I obey, I, the whole thing. It's a confession that we make because we're not willing to do ever in any place more than we're willing to confess. Now, we may, we may mimic or something, some sort of confession, even in faith and even in that ceremony, but a heartfelt confession sets the outer limits for what we're willing to do. It empower, excuse me, it empowers us to do what we're willing to say. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a draw in our words that brings us to those words. That if we're willing to come out of our heart beyond our head and our natural assessment of our abilities and say these things out of that heart of faith, then that faith that we confess will draw circumstances and desires to be able to do what we confessed. So it's, it's amazing. Um, let's see here where I am. Um, we identify ourselves in our heart, and then we own it with our words. We... We work things out in our heart. How far am I going to go with this woman, with this man? How far am I going to go with this job? How far am I going to go with the Lord Jesus? We work that out in our heart. And when we summarize it, when we come to a consensus, when we come to agreement with our heart, then we're able to speak those words. And the Bible tells us right here that those words are actually the, the consummation of faith, that actually, according to our words, is our faith measured. It's not what you believe in your heart that's unspoken. Lots of people have a, <laughs> uh, an intention. What, what is that old saying? The road to, 
somewhere is paved with good intentions. You know, everybody's got intentions. I can tell you of a thousand of them that I could list before we left this evening. And that wouldn't be all of them. Good intentions. But I'm working them out in my heart, unwilling to commit to them yet, many of them. Because once I commit to them, I'm joined to them. I'm, I'm obligated to fulfill them. Right? So we all have things we're working out. That goes back to what we talked about Sunday about a conviction. A conviction, which is another word for faith, an assurance, a confidence. A conviction is something where everything comes together in our heart and we, we become one with what's in our heart. It, our heart represents us. This is who I am and this is what I'm committing to. And then and only then when it becomes so overwhelming in our heart, it overwhelms our system or our, our uh, excuses or our objections or our limitations or what we know. It overwhelms them and comes out of our mouth as what the word calls a confession. And it is powerful when we confess out of the heart. Now, the problem in the past has been, for all of us, I'm assuming, is that we have been willing to confess while this stuff was unsettled out of our head. We've just said, I agree with the word. Took very little thought about it and did not make Jesus the Lord, the supreme commander, the absolute control over those words because they came from an unrenewed or un, a, a part of us that wasn't in consensus with the will of God and with even our own desires. So we said things out of our head and then believing that we'd done the Bible thing, we'd believed somewhere and we'd said with our mouth, we went on believing we were in faith. But you're not born again until you're born again and the mountain doesn't move until the mountain has to move. It doesn't have to move until there's something that's been in the spirit, the unseen realm, that is greater than the mountain who's always been there and plans to always be there until something with a greater authority unseats it and moves it. It's not just saying it. Well, I spoke to the mountain. It has nothing to do with what we spoke. It has everything to do with what's inside of us. So, your words drive your life to obey or fulfill your heart. That's why when you commit to something, the word says don't vow. Don't vow. Better not to vow than to vow and not do your vow. Our words are the evidence. It's, our words are the power of our faith, our conviction, our assurance. We need to be very guarded with our words. They're almost like a king's decree. That he's not, a king doesn't just sit up there and babble. He doesn't just sit there and say, well, I could do this, I could go there. The, the people would be very disconcerted with a king that was always just all over the map. What he does is he works his stuff out with his counselors if he wants to. And then he comes out with a proclamation and says, here's your sovereign, here's your king. This is what we will do. We will go to war against the Assyrians. We will... We will, make, we will make peace with the Hittites or whatever it was back then. And that's when that word came out, everybody joined themselves to that word. 
Well, it's the same thing now. Many times we are quick, uh, and, and it's been the culture of the church to foster that. It's not been people's fault in, in that sense, but it's been our fault. So there is a speaking unto faith. Now, we've done that a lot, where you speak out of your head when your heart's not in agreement to move your heart. Would you all agree with that? When you, you claim, I am by his stripes, I am healed. He supplies all my need according to his riches in glory. We say that out of our head because we are the most influential people in our own lives. There's nobody that can convince us more than we convince us. And, and our heart, our spirit man, hears us and believes us unless we've lied to it so many times that it turns us off. So that's why we have to let our yay be yay and our nay be nay. We have to be very measured with our words. Don't volunteer for things and say, I'll do it, <laughs> and then go your way. Because it's not that you disappoint somebody else. They'll certainly get over it. They're used to people. But what it does is it denies veracity to your own soul. You don't equate that your own voice is honest. And so you don't trust God's word because you haven't trusted your own word. A man is no better than his word, and God is no better than his word. That's why he will always keep his word. And that's why we must keep his word by keeping our word. Amen? So, uh, let's, uh, verse 10, let's look at that again. For with the heart man believeth under righteousness. So here we're framing faith. We're, we're, we're stepping back with a blueprint, as it were, and we're taking God's word, all the tools, all the abilities, all the, the equipment that's in the word, and then we're, we're putting it with our background, how we were raised, what, what brother doodad said, what our mom and dad said, or whatever, that they said, oh, that miracle stuff's passed away, but we see it in the word, and we're measuring it inside of our heart. Well, is mom right, or is the Bible right? The preacher wrong, or is the... This is the evangelist, right? And we're having to work that stuff out. Amen? So we're framing. We're kind of stepping back like an architect and deciding what kind of house am I going to build? What kind of life am I going to build? If you uh, were raised to think that, you know, none of it matters and it all, you know, it all, got, you know, God's in control. There's nothing you can do about it anyway, because if he wants to smack you at 25 and send you on to heaven and because he needs a rose for his garden, there's nothing you can do about it. You're going to have a very loose uh, experience with things or elements in your heart. You're just going to kick up a tent and go on on your way because you don't think it's going to matter anyway. But if you're very aware that death and life is in the power of the tongue, <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna put a, uh, you're gonna put a, a mark on your lips and not say those things, because it just gives place to that. It gives place to the devil. Um, so we're framing when when it says there, the, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That believing is talking about believing unto righteousness. We're working out our own salvation. We're deciding or or weighing in our heart what God has said. And can he be trusted? Is his word right? 
Does he follow through? Because we've certainly heard things and certainly experienced things would lead us to believe that he's he's kind of in when he wants to be and kind of out when he wants to be. And, you know, he says, yes, he says, no, he says, not now. That's what we've been taught. That's what they've been taught. Right. We've all heard that. Well, a lot of people are. That's what they believe. They don't know that there's absolutes. One thing we've done here at River Church is more than anything is to believe God's word is true, that it's always true. It will always be true. And if there's something that isn't true, it's that we haven't believed the truth like the truth is. We've just had to we've had to just cut off everything that says it's not true. We would all we would all live our lives different. And we are increasingly living them different according to the measure of trusting God's word. We would walk on the water if we knew that God said, come, like Jesus said to Peter, come. But he says it in his written word, bring your tithes in the storehouse. He says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He says things that are absolute. And we go, well, why don't they happen? It's because we're still working stuff out in here, believing under righteousness. It's a process. But there's a time where that process comes together, and hopefully it's not under tribulation. It's not under pressure. Sometimes you just got, you know, cancer's on you, or, or your baby's in the hospital, or your job, you know, or things are out there, and you haven't been working on this down here. And so what you got to do is you got to wing it with this up here. And this is a flawed system. Y'all agree with me on that? It's a flawed system. It's, it doesn't have enough to make the decision. So you're going to have a natural end to a natural input. You put in bad information, you're going to get a... It's not going to be good. 1 Peter 2.24, let me just read this to you. It says, Who is own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin... What's it say next? should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Should live unto righteousness. Now, what does that mean? It means that there's a life of righteousness, which is the life of Jesus. He's our pattern. He's our example. He's our whole um, standard. When we live unto righteousness, we're living like Jesus. What would Jesus do? Well, he would live a life of righteousness. There is no unrighteousness in him. So we go back here to uh, Romans. It says, for with the heart man believeth under righteousness. So that's where we work it out. In the heart, down here, not up here. Information can hurt you as much as it can help you. You got to get it down here. You got to work it out down here. Well, the only way to do that is to do what the Word says, is to meditate this day and night. There's no other, there's no other um, experience. You cannot go by somebody else's like, I believe God, and, I, and, and my Aunt Nelda believed God, and she died. So if you put that in and say, well, okay, I'm going to use that as a factor of whether I should believe God, you're going to come up with a flawed uh, process. But if you went to a miracle meeting and someone drug in there with stage four whatever and they laid hands on him and the next day he reports in and said, the doctor said I'm clean and free. Well, there's a whole nother, there's a whole nother input. So you take that and you go back to the word and say, well, the word confirms that. The word never says anything about that other being his will. It says this is his will. 
suddenly you are you are believing under righteousness down here and you are beginning to coalesce or to form up a consensus in your heart that will cause you to make a confession because once you make the confession you're going to be born again or you're going to get the job or cancer's going to go it's so powerful it's on the same level as light be exactly the same as light be but the bible says that the holy spirit brooded over the waters and then god said light be and you go well that's god well you know he gave an example in the word of how it works by saying this is how faith works even for faith god it's the same thing so if i had to brood and come to a consensus and and to believe in my heart under righteousness then you'll probably have to do that too Instead of just spurting it out there saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm healed. That's good. I got it. So many people that we talk to about coming to the healing room, here's their thing. And, and uh, Melissa was telling me about it the other day. Another one, where they said, but my church is praying. And see, that's not a Bible. That's not necessarily a Bible way. You can get around that, and you can kind of include that, and you can make that a part of a process but to put all your eggs in that basket basket that my church is praying for me, it's just practically like having no one pray for you. Because as we all know, the old axiom, when everybody's responsible, nobody's responsible. We're, we're praying for you. That's the last that they thought. And I, the only reason I would put that out there is because that's the way we've done. All of us, we know that experientially. Y'all pray for me. Yeah, we will. And it, I don't say that it doesn't happen, but I'm just saying we don't just say, okay, what night of the week are we all going to come together and pray for Susie because we said we'd pray for her. What, what night are we going to come and uh, which two days are we going to fast in front of that? You've never heard that happen in this light. So um, living under righteousness there in First Peter is living as Jesus lived. And listen, we're all moving towards that as hard and fast as we can. We're, we're, we're getting stuff out. I said we're getting stuff out. Stu there's some stuff inside. It's got to go. It's, got, it's been in there a long time saying, you might could use me someday. If you get in trouble, you'll need this old tradition or this old axiom of, of uh, fact, this old religious uh, rigor. And so we keep it in there instead of saying, I'm bringing the jackhammer in the morning, the word of God, and we are blasting you out if it takes all day long to get rid of why someone that served God in the church was a soul winner and prophesied and uh, got sick and died. You know, we got to reconcile Grandmother Mathis or whoever she was that was so faithful and such and helped so many people and was in the nursery and just gave and just and she died. T.L. Lobsburn probably has won more people to the Lord Jesus than any person on the planet. And there's a lot of competition there with Reinhard Bonnke and so you just couldn't say for sure, but it's a bunch of them. But T.L. Osborne his wife, Daisy, died of cancer. And you would say, and she was with him the whole time, was my next point. Uh, just gave their whole life everything. Daisy gave everything with him to go on the mission field, and just millions of people born again. 
she died of the devil's disease. And you go, where is the justice? Because you have to get faith for your own life and you have to apply it out of your own heart. If there's anybody that was praying for Daisy, don't you know it would be the whole world? Very influential person uh, uh, in that light. Uh, Buddy Harrison, Brother Hagen's son-in-law, godly man, started Harrison House, was a businessman that just changed so many things. Died. Young man, not, not old, but not certainly, not old enough to say he was old enough to die died we got to examine ourselves and see if we're in the faith because you cannot go by what you've done even if it's great it's got to be what you're doing you can backslide even if you are still above people all around you because jesus is the standard so this is not a gauntlet of faith where we say oh you know, what used to be when people would say, you know, I'm living by faith. You, you just knew the picture that they were saying to you, that they're in some rigor, they're in a gauntlet, they're in something that says, oh, gosh, they're living by faith. You know what that means? They're eating cockroaches and crickets and, and you know, they're, they're just, they're living by faith. They don't have any money and they're just no club, you know, they're just living by faith. And that's not what the word teaches. It's easy to live by faith. It's hard to not live by faith. The world can testify that. So let's, let's bring it to this. Faith is not confession. Even though confession is in faith, faith does not equal confession. And I'm telling you, we'd never have said it, but that's pretty much how we believed for a number of years. Because we never sat down and, just, and, and, and really worked it out. Empty words do not constitute favor or finances or healing. Empty words are religious. They are useless. The Bible calls them, in, in Matthew 6, calls them unemployed, idle words. They're empty. They have nothing. It's the same thing as clouds without rain. So you can speak the scriptures, even speak the word, but it can have no intent or have no consequence. Um, actually, words are the vehicle for faith. Faith is in your heart. That's where it's worked out. That's where you are framing your faith is in your heart. It's right here. Think of it being on, on a computer, and you need to move this information over to another computer. So you put it on a hard drive, and then you... You download it onto that, onto that hard drive, and then you take it over here, and you plug it into this other unit, and you, you download it. You've transported it from one to another. How you get faith out of your heart, out of your, out of your innermost being, into your situation, is by words. Now, you can speak words that don't have faith, but you cannot release faith without words. So, in other words, you just got to find the words that are laden with faith, and speak them in a way that they carry your faith to the situation, and faith overwhelms or changes the situation. Now remember, faith, let's get faith back down. When we release our faith, it's not magic. It's not just because we say 14 times by his stripes I'm healed. It has no power, no power unless faith 
is actually moved out of your heart into the situation. You're not born again until you're born again. And so we have to load our words with faith. We have to be able to put our faith into words. Well, the only way you can do that is if you have an overflow or that you, you generate faith through the word of God. You generate it until faith speaks. There when we were in 1 Corinthians 4.13, it says, I believed and therefore I spoke. So believing will not speak until it's overwhelming everything around it. And then when you speak, whatever's in consensus or whatever's in the majority, that's what will speak. Then you're in faith. But a lot of people are speaking faith words, but there's all sorts of junk all around it. Lots of junk. And so their faiths are idle. Their faith words are idle. They're, they're empty. They don't have anything uh, uh, in that. I've been real aware lately of how, and we've got to go, but faith has to overwhelm the natural situation. We've got to have something in here that's bigger than that out there. Remember in Mark eleven twenty three, he said, if you'll speak to the mountain and say to the mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast in the sea, there's got to be something more than just speaking. Because verse 22 says, have faith in God, have the God kind of faith. So when you have that, Jesus said, when you are full and solid, there's an integrity where the front of the coin and the back of the coin and everything in between is the same. There's not a, there's not a gold plating on an aluminum coin. It's the same. He said, then you can speak to the mountain and the mountain will respond to your faith. The force of faith that's in you from the word will be sent by words and do what it's called to do. So it's a conviction. Healing has to be a conviction. A conviction. That's why we all struggle with it. Because symptoms are very anti-conviction. Pain is in a terrible uh, accuser of the Word of God. Throwing up and having pain in your neck or your ear or whatever belies the Word of God. And so there's things that are saying poverty when you can't pay your bills. Lack is there. But, by, but according to his riches in glory, the Word says there has to be something inside here that's greater than that out there. And family, most of us, myself included, have not been willing to put so much of him in us that we overwhelm everything that's out there. Because, you know, there's a faith drain every day you get up. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. So every day we live, we're living by faith. We're breathing by faith. We're, <laughs> we're, all we do is by faith. So there is a draw Kind of like a, on a computer, if you leave a computer, my experience, if you leave a computer running long enough, it gets wacko after about five days, the ones I run anyway. And you've got to reboot them and start over. They degrade or they, what's the word they use? They get crazy anyway. If you don't put new faith in all the time, you will not have enough faith to send the confession that will change and move the mountain. So it's kind of like shooting a gun. You've got to have enough powder in the bullet to shoot it far enough. We're going to pray next year more than we did this year. And prayer is simply faith towards God. It's simply speaking to mountains in a, 
obviously, prayer and faith has power, different powers, because if two can put a thousand to flight, if one can put a thousand to flight and two can put 10,000, then there must be something that we can do with your faith and my faith together that's greater than just my faith. But we've got to get in faith. It does not change a nation. It does not bring revival to speak, speak empty words. Matter of fact, it betrays us because we think we've done what's required and we have, a, we have no results and we don't know what to do with God's word. Does that help? Amen. We're just examining ourselves to see if we're in faith. So I encourage you to get in the word. I encourage two things, the word and testimonies. Testimonies are powerful. You ought to go on either the Bethel w website or, or David Hogan or uh, Curry Blake, somewhere where the supernatural is being recorded and documented, and just read those things. I w the website guy called me today that I'm working with, and I got this long string of testimonies. He said, he said, buddy, he, he doesn't know God at all. I'm working on him. He said, buddy. You got too, you need, you need, you got too many, you got too many words. I said, I need those testimonies. I don't want to take any out. He said, nobody's going to read those. He said, in their longest day, they're not going to read all that stuff. I said, I get it. They're going to read the first one. But, you know, somebody's going to come back and read three. And eventually, because I've been one of them, going to read all of them or a bunch of them or several of them. I wouldn't let him cut my testimony. Now, my, all my songs I've recorded and my great his, personal history, it's gone. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We're going to get ourselves in faith around here. And it's, it is the last thing, one of the last things to us knocking this thing out. So we're going to receive our midweek tithes and offerings. If you're giving tonight, 